Amen. Before we take our seats, I'd like to just ask those who are getting baptized today, just to step forward. We're going to pray for you. And if all of us as a congregation and as a family could just put our hands forward and pray for them. This is a very special day today. And, you know, we're going to go straight into the Word of God. And anybody here today who's not received Christ, today is a great opportunity. But these people here, they're taking a step forward in Christian initiation. It's a very special moment for them. And we want to value them. We want to make sure that they're stepping in to receive the Holy Spirit once they're baptized. And if you're a cell leader or a family member of one of the people here, then just come forward and support them as we pray right now. Let's all pray together in Jesus' name. Father, Lord, we lift up every single person who's here at the front, Lord. They're precious to you. And they're doing something significant. This is a significant step forward in their Christian life today, Father. It's not just something to do, Father God, but it's something significant. They're saying, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. They're saying in front of everybody here today, I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And Lord, I ask you today that you would set your seal upon their commitment to you. Lord, as a result of today, Father, God, I pray they'll keep moving forward. They'll receive the Holy Spirit. They'll get connected to a good cell group, Lord God, somewhere they can be discipled and continue to move forward. I also pray for their families, Lord. Some of their families don't know you, but I pray as a result of their witness, the Father, many of them, their family members would come to know you, Lord. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I speak over them today in Christ. You're a new creation. All things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. This is a new day. This is a new day. And the song says the sun has come up. Well, the sun is rising over you. Jesus is rising over you today. Let his light shine upon you today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give Jesus praise here this afternoon. Hallelujah. Congratulations, guys. You may be seated. I'd like to turn your Bible today as you're getting your seats to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 25 to 35. How many of you have been enjoying the series on this uh, series about the revolution within? How many people have been over the last couple of weeks here at the 2.30 service? We've been enjoying that and you can get some of the CDs or even listen to it online as well. We had Chris Shimon talking about seizing the life, grabbing hold of the life of God. Anybody hungry for God today? Amen. We're hungry for God. That's what it means to seize the life. And then Jonathan Miller, uh, one of our worship leaders and pastors here, he talked about the presence-driven life. I don't know if you're hungry for the presence of God. If you want life today, it's found in God's presence, this fullness of life. And we've got to be passionate, not just about prayer or worship or just attending services, but passionate about making sure we meet with God in our bedroom, in our lounge, in our private time, seeking after God during the week. And then Dr. Kemi Adjai was talking last week about life killers. You know, you may have been full of life as a Christian, and then one day, Maybe you were depressed or you're downhearted or, you know, you're just, just feeling like the life in you is suddenly gone. I mean, you had the life. You were born again. You were full of energy. And then suddenly this life began to dissipate and you begin to feel, well, I'm a Christian by name, but I'm not really feeling the life of God within me. And Kemi was talking uh, last week about the life killers. Well, today we want to talk about the God kind of life, releasing God's life, the revolution within. And hopefully over this series, you have also been having this transformation within inside of your heart. I remember coming out of just preparation into a cell group the other day, and my prayer was this, and hopefully it's your prayer today. 
Because when we're talking about the revolution within, hopefully all of us here have got to the point where we've realized we can't do it without God. Anybody here today, you've realized you can't do it. You can't live the Christian life without God. And as I was praying this prayer, I said, God, help me. Just help me to be a model. Help me to be an example that others would want to follow. Now, in, in KT, we're encouraging you to join a cell group, get discipled, maybe disciple other people. We see lovely volunteers here today helping at the 2.30 service. There's all, awesome opportunities to get involved in the house of God. You know, but are you a model? We want people to follow us, but are we a model? And how are we to be a model? I mean, how are we going to be an example unless it starts in our hearts first? So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the revolution in our hearts. And here, I want to just read before we get into some of the other scriptures, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 25 and 35. Here's a man who comes to Jesus and asks him about eternal life. Uh, that word, the Greek word eternal, ionis, actually means eternal life, and it's often connected to life. And that word life is the word zoe life. And the Bible describes that, and Jesus describes that as, as the God kind of life. So when we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about the life that God is giving us. You know, not just the life that the world has to offer, but the life that God has to offer. And here, the man comes to Jesus on one occasion, an expert in the law, stood up and tested Jesus. And he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He asked Jesus, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And in this, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. Then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came and where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine, and then he put the man on his donkey, brought him into the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse, you, reimburse for you the extra expense you, you may have. Which of these do you think was neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy upon him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. He's a man who's hungry for this life. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about releasing this life, grabbing hold of this life. And here's a man hungry for God. Well, first point I want to make today, not often do you see somebody, even in church, who's hungry for the life that God has to offer. There's many people out there who want the life that the world has to offer. Why? Because every Friday, Saturday, if there's a party going on, that's where they want to be. If there's money to be made, that's where they want to be. They want the life that the world has to offer. But this man, I commend him in this sense because he came to Jesus. He was a law, a teacher of the law. Maybe he had position. Maybe he had everything the world had to offer. And he was thinking, maybe there's something more, something more to offer, something more I can grab a hold of. Well, Jesus talked about this life that God has to offer. And in John's gospel, chapter 10, he talks about this life. 
He says, John's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The life that God has to offer is abundant life. So why don't we feel that on a regular basis? Why are we not exuberating life? When the worship leader strums his guitar, why isn't there suddenly an eruption of marvelous applause to God, you know, of saying, God, I love you. Why sometimes do we have to work it up? Maybe there's some things going on in our lives. The people here, you're getting baptized today. Why? Because hopefully you've fallen in love with Jesus, amen, recently. Uh, and you've received this new life. And there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, in Christ, I'm a new creation, all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. How many people want a new life today? Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but even being a Christian for 30 years right now, I long for this life. I long to be made new. I long to be made right with God. I long to be transformed, not just on the outside. Hopefully you like my jacket today, amen, and my tie, and I look hopefully a bit religious, you know, and a bit acceptable to you, you know. But what's happening on the inside? What's happening on the inside? I want something happening on the inside of me. And Jesus talked about religion being something that's just on the outside. But you don't see me when I leave the church. You don't see me when I'm home in the week. You don't see me when I'm, I'm handling people. You don't see me when I'm praying. I don't see you either, but God sees your heart. He sees what's going on on the inside. And Jesus talked about this life. This life. And he talked about it in, in the terminology, born again. I wonder today if you have become born again. I'm talking about this life that God has to offer, comparing it to the world. Jesus said, unless a man become born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you become born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means to receive Christ into your life. It means to receive the life of God. It means to say, God, forgive me. And in this sense, God takes out the old nature, the sinful nature, and he pours in his life. And in this, we're transformed. So how come we don't continue? Jesus talked about it in John 15. He said, you're going to have fullness of life. You're going to have joy to the max. Sometimes we don't feel this joy. So why then do we not feel this joy on a daily basis? Why then do we find it difficult to re release this life on the inside of us? And why is it challenging to see life released when we try to reach out to other people? Well, here we're going to go through this verse of the Good Samaritan. I want to turn around this life, this word life, and talk about love. Because well, when we're talking about life, we could be talking about anything. We could be talking about feelings. We could be talking about healing. We could be talking about anything. But here, Jesus turns around the question, and he now talks about loving God and loving people. So let's talk about this love. How did Jesus love people? How did Jesus release the life of God? How did Jesus magnify the life of God? Well, the Bible says one thing Jesus did in 1 John 3 verse 16. Can you turn there right now? 1 John 3 verse 16. 1 John 3 and verse 16. Jesus did many things. He healed people. I remember a woman with the issue of blood. And Chris talked about this in the first week. A woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She reached out. Why? Because she knew that Jesus had life. Jesus had power. Jesus was healing people. So she found out that Jesus was the source of godly life. She reached out and touched Jesus. And the Bible says power flowed through Jesus and was released in the woman. And immediately she was healed. 
So Jesus was healing people. The Bible also talks about as many as touched Jesus were healed. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus healed many people. But how did Jesus love the world? How did God love the world? Well, it says this in 1 John 3, 16 and onwards. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart. I want you to remember that little verse there. Shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are in the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For our hearts condemn us. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And in this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us the commandment. So how is love expressed? Loving God. If I was to ask you this question today, describe for me the love of God in your life. Describe for me what does it mean for you to love God? Because this man replied, he said, love the God, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What does it mean to love God? Does it mean just to lift your hands and cry a few tears and say, God, forgive me? And you, you leave the worship service, oh, God, this, this was an amazing time. I really felt the love of God in my heart. Does, does that, is that what it means? You know, in this, the love of God is described in this way in 1 John 3:16. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down his life for others. We need to lay down our lives for others. And in this, I've got one word. It's the word surrender. Can we replace the word love with surrender? I don't know if you've been on Facebook, anybody on Facebook here, and you'd have seen a lot of the pictures regarding these Coptic Christians that have been killed by the ISIS. And, and I was reading, not just on the Facebook, I was reading on Open Doors, because Open Doors is a ministry who prays and, and basically publicizes Christians who are being persecuted and trains the church to continue to pray for them. I was reading in a magazine, and they were saying that some of the family members, some of the family members were rejoicing to see some of their family members martyred. And why were they rejoicing? Because they could hear when they were being martyred, the words coming out of their mouths was, Jesus is Lord. God, forgive the people that are doing this. Lord, bless them. Lord, save them. And as you went on to read, you suddenly read, some of the family members said, I'd love to receive one of these ISIS tourists into my house. I'd love to receive them because I'd like to share with them about the love of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking today, that is impossible. I mean, I, I put a comment on Facebook and said, pray for those who've been killed, but also pray for the ISIS people. And someone put on there straight away, don't pray for them, kill them. You might be thinking that, but obviously that's not godly. That's not the love of God. Here, Jesus laid down his life for us, and he said also that we ought to lay down our life for others. I mean, doesn't that change how you're going to live the Christian life? I mean, doesn't it change how you're going to live? Because if you, to say, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, really what you're talking about is surrender to God with all your heart. Surrender to God with all your mind. Surrender to God with all your strength. I mean, in every area of your life, ask yourself this question today. Are you surrendered? 
Because if we're going to help other people, if we're going to release the life of God in other people, is the life of God in us right now? Or is there resistance? Is there resistance to the things of God? Kemi talked last week about things that are resisting the love of God. The love of God in the Bible is described in three Greek words. One, philios, which means friendship kind of love. Eros, which means the sexual kind of love. And agape, which means the unconditional love of God. So God's love means sacrifice. I want to ask you a question here today. What is your most dominant thought? What, is, what are you thinking about on a regular basis? Because if we're honest today, we're all not thinking about God. When you get out of bed in the morning, are you thinking about God? Are you thinking about this life of God? Are you thinking, my God, wait, just wait so I can release the life of God in someone else? If we're honest today, we're thinking, my God, should I even get out of bed? Lord, it's Monday morning. God, have mercy. Lord, it's Tuesday. Oh, Lord, I'm having a bad week. Oh, God, this person at work does my head in. Oh, Father, God, have mercy on me. I don't even know if I want to live anymore because we're struggling. There's issues in our lives. I want to encourage you today to draw closer to God. Our vision week that happened was all about drawing closer to God. And you're a Christian today. Seeing these people baptized, I want to encourage you to grab a hold of this life of God again. Grab a hold of God again. Receive an eternal, abundant life is all about drawing closer to God, loving Him. And when we draw close to God and allow Him to change us, then we'll desire to release this same love and this same life in other people in our world. So why was this man asking, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Have you ever thought about that? You may have heard a message like this before. Who is my neighbor? Well, he was asking the question like this. Lord, can I pick and choose who my neighbor is? Can I pick and choose who my neighbor is? I mean, we do this in church all the time, don't we? We pick who we sit next to. And when we sit next to someone we don't like, often we'll get up and we'll move over to the other side because perhaps our friends are over the other side. So we're kind of picking and choosing on a regular basis, unconsciously, uh, who we're going to hang around with. So in this sense, we're kind of like this man. He comes and says, Lord, can I pick and choose who my neighbor is. That's why Jesus told him the story. He's saying, Lord, maybe I can love some people. I actually feel like loving some people and other people I don't feel like loving at all. I mean, what is the definition of my neighbor anyway? What is your definition of a neighbor? I remember we've been praying for quite a while for our neighbors you know, your neighbor is the person sitting next to you. In fact, they don't live next to you. That you sit next to you. Today, they're your neighbor. Or maybe a Christian neighbor. But actually, my real neighbors who live on the right and left of me, you know, I have a, a friendship with the lady next to me because on the day that we moved in, she introduced herself. No problem. Then, I, then the neighbor, neighbors from hell next door, it seems like, I've been praying for them. I've got these issues I'm working out. I often speak to them, but often they don't speak to me. So what, what, what can I do? And it seems to me, in fact, some of my friends come around and they speak to them and, and they speak back on this communication. But every time I speak to them, there's some sort of resistance. I, I don't know what that is all about. So we've given that to prayer. Give that to prayer. But often it's, 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 uh, it's uh, a surprise to know that when our neighbor on the right speaks to us, it's always regarding something she's complaining about. She doesn't have an issue. So the time we were drilling through the wall, straight away, she came knocking on our door and she's saying, can you quiet down? Can you quiet down? I thought, my God, every time I try to speak to you, you don't speak back. But every time we're doing building work or something's happened, you're ready to knock on the door and complain. 
Neighbours two doors down, we've been praying for for quite a long time and saying, God, they're Sri Lankan. And we're saying, God, you know, God, open a door into their house. Now, I think they're, they're Hindus and Hindus in such a way where they wear the, the red dot on the there's, they have a child and the red dot is there. I don't fully understand what all that means. I've done a bit of research. But you know what? They're, they're living. They go to the temple. And I've been praying, God, open a door in, into their house. And we pray across the street to open doors with a, a lady called Anne as well. And then, unfortunately, one day, we were broken into. And uh, Torian called me on the phone. She thought, oh, I think we've been broken into. I said, well, don't worry. Just go next door. And the next door neighbor wasn't there. But so she went to the Schlankens. And the Schlankens opened the door to her, gave her a, a drink and everything like that. I got there 30 minutes later. And we went in and we managed to sit around the table with these Sri Lankans for about an hour before the police got there. And I was thanking God. I had peace in my heart. I was thanking God. Why? Because for about six months to a year, I've been praying, God, open a door into my neighbor's house. And then suddenly, the night I got broken into is the night I had an opportunity to go through the door and and spend time with with this this neighbor of mine. And Torian since then has been able to invite the lady out. She's got a small child. And the lady across the road, uh, Anne, she, she's one of the neighborhood watch team. And, and you never know what's going on in someone else's life, do you? I mean, Anne, she comes across like she's got it all together. I mean, she runs the street. Everybody knows her. If anybody's got a problem, they're going to go to Anne's house. And so this is, this is what she comes across like. And so Toyin was going across to her house after what had happened, uh, thinking, you know what, I need some comfort from Anne. I need Anne to just tell me everything's going to be okay. Well, this was the kind of mindset. And she wasn't thinking about loving Anne. She was thinking about Anne loving her, maybe. And this is what was going through her mind. We all think this way. We're hoping to receive something from somebody else. And then suddenly, Anne began to tell her that three members of her family had passed away recently. And she was going through a tremendously tough time. And in the last four weeks, one of her nieces has passed away, a 16-year-old in Essex. And, and she was really down. She was really struggling because her sister was really struggling with the loss of her daughter. And, and Torian was, you know, instead of Anne ministering to Torian, in that sense, Torian started ministering to Anne and started loving her. And that was another door of opportunity to minister to our neighbor. So I don't know if you think your neighbor is someone who lives on the right and the left-hand side of you. But Jesus, in fact, his definition here was anyone that can be affected by my behavior or my actions. A neighbor is someone who's anyone who can be affected by my behavior or my action. In fact, your neighbor is anybody in the world right now. You don't even know the person sitting next to you. Not everybody here. And you don't even know if you're ever going to see that person next to you ever again. So Jesus is encouraging us that if we love God, then we've got to love God our neighbor. We've got to love our neighbor. Now, what's going on in you? How is your behavior defined by who you get on with? I don't know if you heard the story on Facebook of a man who was on the tube and he was going for an interview. And as he was going to the interview, I won't say the words that he said to a fellow person on the tube, but essentially told him to go and, you know, beep, beep, beep. And uh, it wasn't, he wasn't beeping the car, by the way. He was telling him to go somewhere. And uh, as he was pushing past on the tube, uh, unfortunately for this man, as he got to the interview, when he got to the interview, the same man that he told to go away was the same man who was interviewing him. You may laugh at that, but you know what? We do that on a regular basis. You might not think, I mean, on a football field and someone angers you, and have you ever heard the termino- terminology, back off, bruv? Back off, bruv. What does that mean? Back off, bruv. 
Well, it means if you don't back off, something's going to happen to you. Well, you might think that's, that's outward. That's an outward manifestation of somebody who's saying, hey, you're not my neighbor today. I'm not going to love you today. Back off. You bumped into me. It's your problem. It's your fault. But we do that on a regular basis. Why did the Levite and the priest march on the other side? Why did they look at the man who was there, who'd been robbed, had been beaten, and they just walked past? Like it didn't matter to them at all. They shut up their heart. Remember, we read that earlier in 1 John. He shuts up. He sees his brother in need, and he shuts up his heart. How does the love of God abide in us if we shut up our hearts? And in fact, we do this on a regular basis because we, instead of saying to people, we back off, back off, brother, instead of saying that, we just walk away. We internalize it. We disconnect from these people on a regular basis. Kemi was saying last week, if someone leaves your cell group, how do you treat that person? Never speak to them again? Used to be in my cell group? Oh, I'm never going to speak to you again. You rejected me as a leader, and you disengage, and you disconnect, or perhaps on the reverse. Maybe if someone goes to another cell group, I'm not speaking to that person. I invited them, but they joined someone else's cell group, so they can, they can go somewhere. We, we disengage. We, we find a little small corner. This is what the Levite and the priests were doing. They were disengaging. What were they going through? What was the Levite and the priest doing? Maybe they got used to their job. They'd become religious. You know, religion restricts the life flow of God. Religion restricts the life flow of God. They had a religious garment, but they were unwilling to help. And in this, in this sense, the love of God was not inside of them. Maybe they'd lost their relationship with God. I don't know about you, but the truth is that when I'm not following God in my personal life, when I'm not experiencing God for myself, you know, I, I don't want to help anybody. Number one, I don't feel good enough to help anybody. Number two, I'm thinking, oh, I need to meet with God. I need to get my life sorted out with God. And don't come and ask me for help, will you? Because I'm, I, I can't help you. There's stuff going in, in my heart. And what is this stuff that's going on? Well, the Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 16 to 22, you can turn there if you have a Bible. It talks about the flesh. And Collins explained this before on, on the big screen during our conferences. The flesh, you know, is what we see on the outside, the external. And we see what's going on in people's lives. And often there at the peak, we see this religion popping out. If there's a picture of, a, of an iceberg and it's popping out of the ocean, we see this suddenly religious life popping out. And we say, oh, these people are all right. We go beneath the surface. And what's beneath the surface is, is all this flesh stuff, this pride and this, this, this thing where we disengage and we disconnect with people. And how are we to get to the God life? Well, the God life is going deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like striking oil. Like striking oil. If we want the spirit life in our lives, we've got to go beyond the flesh and get right down into the God part of our lives. Here in Galatians 5, let's read it together if you're following. In verse 16, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Another way of looking at that is you're not going to inherit the life that God has on offer. 
You're not going to have this full energy, this full Christian life because you've got these things in your life that need to be dealt with. And how are they dealt with? It says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and patience. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So there's the answer. If you're going through this struggle right now, if you get out of bed on the morning and all that you feel is the flesh, anger, hatred, struggle, this person wronged me, that person wronged me, this circumstance, that circumstance, all these things going on in your heart, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to get the life of God back in you? It says here, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Think about this. What would have happened if the Levite and the priest would have crucified their flesh with their passions and desires and their distractions? They would have been the first one to help them. But Jesus was given the example saying, listen, the flesh blocks the life flow of the Spirit of God in your life. Have you ever realized sometimes that when you're a Christian, God doesn't often pick out all the areas that are wrong in your life when you first are born again? Because suddenly you'd fall on your face and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need help. I don't even know if I can receive forgiveness because I've got so many issues in my life. God often pinpoints certain areas first, and he helps you, helps you fix those areas, fills you with his spirit, gives you strength, and then he works on the next area, and then the next area, and the next area. But if you've been saved for quite a long time, sometimes there's so many areas that you need to work on, and you're thinking, my God, how is it possible that there's going to be any life flowing inside of me anymore? I mean, there used to be on fire. I used to be zealous. I used to love church. I used to love worship. I used to do this. I used to do that. But there's so much stuff happening in our flesh that has become so difficult. So what are we going to do? Is any of us in that place today? So concerned, so caught up. What do we need to do? Well, we need to cry out to God. Amen. We need to cry out to God for mercy, for strength. And there's four words I want to share with you today. I was reading the book Soul Talk. How many people on the Soul Talk course? And this is what we're trying to do. We're going through this whole course and we're saying to God, hey God, I want you to go deeper into my life. I want to get beyond this self-talk, this flesh kind of talk. And I want to get into what the Spirit is doing in the life of somebody else. I want to find out what the Spirit is doing inside of me. And I want to try and connect with other people on the life floor of the Spirit. Isaiah 64, Isaiah got frustrated and he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. He said, open the heavens, Lord, for I want to meet with you again. I need you in my life. Habakkuk 3 said, Lord, revive your work in me. Revive your work in me. Lord, I've come to the point right now where there's so much stuff going on right now, I don't even know how to recognize the life of the Spirit anymore. I want to walk in the Spirit. I need to get rid of the flesh. Well, number one, humility. First thing in grabbing hold of the God kind of life is to recognize that you don't have the life of God flowing in you anymore. There's so much stuff. Your heart is hard and you need to humble yourself before God. Anybody being humbled here today? 
United were humbled yesterday again by Swansea, unfortunately. Felt the pain. I didn't even bother watching the result. I knew it was going to happen. You know, you just kind of know these things. Remember, as I was connected to the Spirit of God, who knows, you know. I just knew in advance what was going to happen. So I felt the pain. But you know what? We all suffer from pride if we're honest. And I remember a story. I walked into a, a school in the middle of London, into a Christian college. And I've always been the type of person who's tried to be, tried to be cool. Anybody try to be cool? We try to pull it off most of the time. We wear the right gear. We're outwardly looking cool. We put, I used to wear shades on my top of my head. Why? Because I thought it looked cool. And I always have the right image. I always had long hair once upon a time. You can believe me, you know. But I walked into this class, and, and this, I was a bit like a Levite that day. I was a bit like a Pharisee. I don't want to say that, but you know what? I was. I'm looking at the story now, and that experience, I was just like a Pharisee. I looked around all these Christians, and the first thought that came to me, I thought, look at all these geeks. Look at all these geeks. And, and the second thought that I had was, how are all these geeks going to re- reach all the cool people? How are all these geeks going to reach this college for Jesus? I mean, it sounds holy, doesn't it? Sounds holy, so I'm walking in. How are all these geeks going to reach people for Jesus? Then out of nowhere, suddenly, I, cu- I couldn't remember what happened. I slipped over. I slipped over. I remember balancing in the middle of the sky. This cup of coffee just came down. I crashed on the floor. The cup of coffee sprayed everybody. And suddenly all these geeks, so-called in my mind, were staring at me. And one of the gentlemen came up and he just picked me up and he said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. (laughs) Needless to say, when I sat down with my friend and he started talking to me about reaching out to the college, I was a little bit more humble. I didn't have much advice for him because I was a little bit more humble. And I was more than listening to what he's going to say because I thought, my God, God's humbled me. Why did I have these thoughts? Why was I thinking these things? Suddenly God humbled me. The Bible says when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up. Not just one of these students, but he will lift us up. Hallelujah. And then secondly, brokenness. Brokenness. I mean, why is brokenness so important? Chris, in the first series, you know, season of life, he was talking about passion for God. He was talking about this thirst for God. You know, I don't know if you've got this thirst for God, this, this longing for God. But often our hearts get hardened. And we can't ever work out how we're going to get there. We need to get broken before God. And brokenness is not something that you can just do on a list of paper, is it? It's not, well, humble yourself tonight and suddenly there's going to be a breakthrough. Brokenness sometimes takes time. Because we've been saved a long time. I got saved in, when I was eight years old in 1985 in a Billy Graham crusade. That was my first experience of God. And how was it? There was an excitement going on. There, were, there was life. Why? In my family, people were talking about it. My mother took my older brother to the crusade with Billy Graham the night before. And they came back with Bibles and they were saying, hey, we've become Christians. Do you want to go? And there was an excitement there. This life that I was talking about at the beginning. And I thought, my, I, want, I want some of that. I want some of that. I want some of this life. My grandma, who passed away last year, she took me there. And I remember sitting next to her and saying to her, like a true eight-year-old boy, when are we going to go forward? When are we going to go forward? Because this guy was preaching. He was preaching for a long time. And I was ready to give my life to Jesus. And I was a bit bored of the preacher. And I was thinking, Grandma, when can I go forward? When he gave the altar call, I was the first person to go down the steps and receive my Bible and pray to receive Jesus. Something happened to me. I can't explain it. It was a miracle. 
Something happened. Something changed in my life. I knew as an eight-year-old boy that I received Jesus in my life. I'd received something new. I received a new nature. Why? Because when I was reading my Bible and the pamphlets that I was given, there was an excitement inside of me. I would share with my brother next to me and say, hey, Neil, look, I've read this. This is about Jesus. And there was an excitement. And as an eight-year-old boy, I got baptized uh, about six months later in a Baptist church. I remember standing before everybody and saying, hey, I've, become, I've been born again. I've got Jesus in my life. That's the reason I've been baptized. There was something significant happened to me. But you know, over 30 years of being a Christian, your heart can become hardened because there's all these things that have happened to you. Maybe you've had a bad experience and you need to get before God because there's all this flesh stuff. You get broken before God. Psalm 51 says, A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. Some people say when Jesus died on the cross, his heart was broken. And in that sense, it was true. His heart was broken for the world. His heart was broken for you, for me. Brokenness gets us to the place where we can receive again the life flow of the Spirit of God. Number three, repentance. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, repent. What does repentance mean? It means to turn around. It means to admit that you need God. I remember my mother said to me one day as a child, she said, you know, Christian, it's very important that you apologize first. doesn't matter what the person has done to you. Always say sorry because that will help you in life. I want to tell you, if you want to keep your heart and your passion for God, always say sorry. Always say sorry to God. Always repent. Turn around. Accept that you've done wrong. Because the Bible says, Acts 3.19, repent that times of refreshing will come from the Spirit of God. And number four, hunger. Hallelujah. You might be hungry right now. You might be thinking after the baptism service, I'm going to go to Nando's. Well, God bless you because I already had my Nando's before I came, so I'm not thinking about Nando's. You know, you might be hungry physically, but are you hungry for God? When you're hungry for something, when you get out of bed on the morning, you're thinking, God, God first. The God life. I need to get a hold of God. I can't go through my life without God. Hunger. Matthew 5 verse 6 says, He who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be satisfied. So bring it home right now if the band can just come back. How are you like Christ today? How can you release the life of God? Well, a few things from the Good Samaritan. One, it seemed to me that this Good Samaritan was able to release the life and the love of God into the man who needed help at that specific moment. He wasn't distracted. He wasn't limited. He didn't allow his insecurities, his fear, his religious heart. We don't even know if he was religious. We don't even know if he was a Christian. But if we think he's a Christian for a moment... He didn't allow all his issues to hinder him from helping somebody else. When we love God, we want to help other people. When we love God, why? Because God is all about people, amen? God is all about helping people, helping neighbors, helping friends. And loving God helps us to listen to what the Spirit of God is doing in the lives of other people in our world. If you could listen to what God's doing in the lives of other people, people who are not saved, people who are saved. That's what discipleship is all about, recognizing what the Spirit is doing. The Good Samaritan, he recognized what the Spirit is doing. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a revelation. It was obvious. This man needed help. He was able to identify what the Spirit was doing, and he didn't shut up his heart. 
Does anybody here today need to come before God and ask God to forgive them for shutting up their heart against a fellow brother, a fellow Christian, or even somebody on the street that the Holy Spirit told you to help and you just shut up your heart? I'm too busy. I'm not going to do it. He didn't shut up his heart. He's a picture of someone who's Christ-like because that's exactly what Christ did. He came down from heaven and he bandaged our wounds. Hallelujah. He died on the cross and he rose again on the third day to release this new life inside of us. This good Samaritan, he loved God. And how do we know he loved God? Because he was loving towards this man who had been robbed and had been injured. He loved his neighbor. He went the extra mile. He saw what God was doing. And maybe he looked at this man and he saw what the Spirit was doing. He thought, you know what, this man has been robbed, he's been beaten, he's been bruised. But I want to tell you that God has a destiny for him. God has a destiny. Maybe he saw the destiny and the life that God had for this man. And he thought, my God, if God has a plan for this guy's life, then I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to put him on a donkey. I'm going to take him to the inn. And I'm going to make sure that he recovers because God has a plan for his life. I want to tell you today that that's what discipleship is all about. That's what we're about as a church, bandaging each other's wounds, helping us go on to achieve what God has for us, just like the Good Samaritan. So let's ask the question today. Do you love God? Hallelujah. Do you love God? It means surrender. Hallelujah. Surrendering our hearts, our minds, our strength to God. Do you love your neighbor? Not just the person you like, but the person you don't like person you don't like and if you're struggling with that ask God humble yourself get broken repent get hungry again for God Ananias was a man who'd heard about Apostle Paul this Apostle Paul this man Saul he was persecuting the Christians a bit like ISIS he was dragging the Christians into prison and the angel turned up to Ananias and said you know what I've chosen this man I want you to go because he's had an encounter with me. I want you to pray for him that his eyes would be opened. And straight away, Ananias said, hey, but this guy has been putting Christians into prison. There's fear going around the church. You want me to help this man? There was an issue came up straight away. But Ananias refused to have this issue. He refused to shut up his heart. And when Saul came, he said to him, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road to Damascus has sent me that you may Receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prayed for him and immediately his eyes were opened. And that's how we have two-thirds of the New Testament. Because a man named Ananias refused to shut up his heart, but released the life flow of the Spirit of God in Saul's life. Let's bow our heads in prayer right now. If you're here today and you listen to this message, it's very challenging. Lots to think about, lots of questions, lots of provoking statements today. But you know what? Listen to this tape, this CD over and over again. Get it in your spirit. Get this whole series on the revolution within and ask God to begin to change you and shape you. But right now as a Christian, I want you to begin to pray and ask God to break you. Ask God to forgive you. If you shut up your heart against anybody, humble yourself this week before God. Get before him and say, God, change my heart. It's not going to be changed overnight. And if you're in this place today and you're not a Christian, you've not experienced the love of God, you've not received His forgiveness, well, I want to pray with you today. And how we're going to do this, everybody who's received Christ, we ask them to lift their hand in the air. And it's, you know when you lift a hand, 
You're not lifting to me, you're lifting to heaven. And you're saying, you know, God, I've not received your love. I've not been changed. I need to repent. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need this life, the life of God, not the life of the world, but the life of God. I'm going to pray this prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if you prayed this prayer. It's a prayer of forgiveness. It's a prayer of saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Do you need his forgiveness today? Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you right now, and I admit that I need you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I humble myself before you, and I admit that I need you. I cry out to you right now because I want this life. I want the life that you have to offer. I want to be born again. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again on the third day. And this day, I choose to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing me. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray with you right now. And you need his forgiveness. Just lift your hand high right now because I'd like to pray with you. You're in this place today. You need his forgiveness. I want to pray with people who need his forgiveness. You prayed that prayer. Lift your hand high right now, right across this place. And I want to pray with you. And if you're in this place today and you need to recommit your life to Christ, and you're saying, Christian, pray for me. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. Lift your hand high right now. Thank you just there in the transept. Lift it high right now. Thank you. Lift it high right now. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, amen. You know when you lift that hand, you lift it to heaven. You, heaven sees that hand, a hand that's genuine, a hand that's real, a hand that says, you know what? I've got to get my life sorted with God. Jesus, hallelujah. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father. Lord, we pray today, those who've lifted their hand, that, Lord, you come into their life right now. They'll feel your closeness. They're saying today, I want to draw close to God. <laughs> like the people who are about to be baptized. They're saying, Lord, I'm stepping forward. Father God, we're drawing close to you. We need you in our lives. We ask you to mold us and shape us to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's give Jesus praise today. God bless you guys.